Hey, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you. It is a great day uh, to worship. Thank you for your patience, some of you in the back, and getting a seat. Um, Man, it's like we should build a new building or something like that. I don't know. Uh, Hey, we just pray that you feel welcome today and uh, see a lot of new faces out there. And if, if this is your first time here, I just pray that you know you are not just a face in the crowd, that there is a reason that God brought you here today and he sees you. You are not anonymous to him. Whether this is your hundredth time here or this is your first time here, you have a place here. And we want to say welcome to our family. Hey, are you excited for Thanksgiving? Kind of mixed reviews, okay? You don't like turkey or what? Are you excited for Thanksgiving? Okay, I think we should be excited. We have so much to be uh, thankful for, especially as a church family uh, here at Hope. And when you think about it, it is a great day to be in God's house and worship the God who is at the very heart of this holiday that we're going to celebrate next week. You see, Scripture is full of references, even commands, to give thanks. Not just on Thanksgiving, but just simply because of who God is, we're called to be people of gratitude and thanksgiving throughout the whole year, even when... We don't feel like it. We're called to worship even when we don't feel like it. Because worship's not about us, it's about him. It's always been about him. We're called to give God praise and thanksgiving when life isn't going our way, whether you're a Hawkeye or a Cyclone today, and you're in a state of grieving and mourning or just two terrible losses. We are still called to give thanks, amen? So instead of talking about it, we're going to do it. So we're going to throw a slide up here, and there's a couple different uh, parts to this. This is from First Chronicles. You've probably heard this before. There's a song about this, right? Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever, right? This is where that's from. So we're going to divide you up into two groups again, kind of right down the middle. So from here over, you're going to be the give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And from here over, you're going to be the his love endures forever. So let's, let's just try it. You, you can stay seated. I know you have a lot of donut holes and we need to let those sit. Okay, so you are the first uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. One, two, three. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Next group. I don't know if you really think. You might need to stand up to do your part, okay? I won't make you do this a lot, but now when it's your part, stand up and belt it at the top of your lungs so Doug the janitor can hear you on the third floor, okay? Ready? So when it's your part, but watch. Watch where I point. Don't be confused, okay? Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. One more time. Let's do it all together. Everybody, both of them. Everybody up. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Nice job. Awesome. Good stuff. Don't you just feel better? It just feels good. Absolutely. It's what we're called to do. So now that you have screamed in your neighbor's ear and probably highly annoyed them, turn to one person next to you and tell them, besides Jesus and squirrels, because those are the normal two Sunday school answers, um, We're all thankful for Jesus, right? Turn to your neighbor and say one thing that you are thankful for today. Just turn to your neighbor. Go for it. Just tell them one thing you're thankful for. All right, I'm going to cut you off. Some of you, one thing, people, one thing, not your life story, just one thing. Some of you, well, I was born and just, okay, you're you're a chatty bunch. I don't know if you notice this, but whenever we do things like that, especially when it's talking about giving Thanksgiving and what we're thankful for. Everybody has something they can be thankful for. And the spirit of gratitude is contagious, right? 
I think it's really hard to be kind of grumpy when somebody comes to you and says, you know what? I have so much to be thankful for. What, what are you thankful for? Uh, there are lots of things to be thankful for. Even when life isn't going, even, even when you're not on the mountaintops of life, even when things aren't going your way, even when life doesn't go according to plan, which I have to believe applies to a lot of us this morning. Many of you dread this time of year. You dread moving into this Thanksgiving holiday because you feel like you have to pretend to be thankful. Because it's, for some of us, it's a lot more difficult than others. It's the week you just had. It's the month you just had. It's the year you just had. Others of you, the, the circumstances in your life, the last thing you felt like doing today was worshiping. But I don't know if you noticed this or not, something in the act of worship, something about getting the attention off of us and our stuff and turning towards God and putting the focus on him and his glory, it changes us in the process, doesn't it? Do you sense that when we were worshiping together this morning? It was more about us worshiping him than me and my issues. And I'm not trying to downplay those. Some of those are very, very real. But at the same time, God says, I'm bigger than that. I'm so much bigger than anything that you might be facing in your life today. And even if your, your attitude is, I don't really feel like giving thanks. I don't really feel like things are going the way I want them. That's okay. God can handle it. You can be real with God here. Because if you can't be real with God here, where are you going to be real? So take off the mask and be yourself because God's pretty big and he can handle it. He can handle your anger and your frustration and your fear and your disappointment and your loneliness, whatever you brought in with you this morning. Notice again what that verse says. Give thanks to the Lord for who is good? He is good. Not my life is always good. Not my circumstances are always good. Not I've been good. That Santa wants to know if you've been good or not. But God's just saying, I'm good. And that's what makes you good. Because I'm faithful, God says, not because you're always faithful, not because you're good all the time. He's good and his love endures forever. So take heart in that today. And I think that's why Thanksgiving is so important. Why, why it's so important when these times of year come around, and not just on the holidays, but every day, to stop and say thank you to the people in our lives that we love, but also to the God that created us. Because maybe you've discovered what I have, and, and it's this. If we waited for life to be just the way that we wanted it, if we waited for things in our life to just line up perfectly, if we waited for our schedule to allow everything that we wanted to do, if we waited for our relationships to be good and for our job to be good and for the kids to be good and for our relationship with God to be good, if we waited for that day in our lives when it all lined up and the stars aligned perfectly, to feel good, we would come to the end of our lives without ever saying thank you. Like, when is that day going to be? When are all those things going to perfectly line up for you to stop and say, you know what? Regardless of anything else, God is good and his love endures forever. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. Because the reality is, our lives are not always lived on the mountaintops. They're not lived at the Thanksgiving table where we're gorging ourselves with food and everything's good. Most of life, I don't know if you've noticed, is lived in the, 
valleys. Most of our lives are lived in what I'm going to call the in-betweens. And in that sense, you and I are always living in what we'll call the land between. Everybody say the land between. Last week, we started this series called On the Move. And we're doing this special series just here at Hope Des Moines, exclusively at your Des Moines campus, is the On the Move sermon series at 8, 7 Central. And what we're doing is we are taking a look at some stories throughout Scripture of God's people on the move. And, and from what we, what we learned uh, from those we're applying to, what does it look like to be, for us to be on the move to our new facility? And, and last week, we looked at the call that God placed on Abraham. Abraham was living uh, in, a, in a place called Haran, and that was his here. That was Abraham's here. And God called Abraham to go there, and he called him to go to the promised land. He called him to go there. And where we left off the story was the reality is, whether you're Abraham or whether you're another Bible character or you're here sitting in your chair today, in order to get from where we are to where we want to go, we must live in the land between. Life is full of not yets. Life is full of not yets. If we're honest, what we discover is that whether it's the not yets of our relationship or our marriage, your job, your kids, your schedule, this side of heaven, a majority of our days are lived not necessarily stuck where we are. They're not necessarily lived in our ideal state of everything that we want in our lives. Most of our lives are lived in the land between. Sure, there's moments of joy and there's moments of satisfaction and peace, and those are glimpses of eternity. Those are glimpses of heaven where everything does go right, and you have that great day, and you have those mountaintop experiences, and then we say to ourselves, I wish I could have this day over and over and over, right? But then what happens the next day? right back down into the valley, right? I think if we can just address that reality, the reality is that we will always live here. We say, oh, I wish I could just be content and then I wouldn't have to live there. To be human is to be full of desire. And it's a good thing. And so if you're thinking, ah, it's not a good place to be, I just want to get to where I want to go, or I just need to stop desiring anything, that's not the answer either. God created you with certain desires, And the fulfillment of those desires is a glimpse that we were created for another world. C.S. Lewis has this great quote that says, If I have desires within me that I realize that this world can't fulfill, it must mean I was created for another world. I love that. Someday we will fully arrive to where we want to be. But this side of heaven, we live in the land between. And if we're going to live the kind of life that God calls us to live as individuals, as a church, we must discover how to live here. Because that's where a majority of us are living today. And that's exactly where God's people find themselves in our scripture today. We're going to take a little bit different look at it. The, the same Exodus story is, uh, is, is in Numbers that Chad read for us this morning, and it's also in Exodus. So we're going to start in the Exodus account. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. We're in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. 
It's full of excitement. Exodus is right after Genesis. Exodus chapter 17. To bring you up to the speed, we're fast-forwarding a few hundred years from last week. World's fastest sermon series here. If you remember, God's people are now on a journey from here to there. There's this guy named Moses, and he set God's people free, and there here was slavery in Egypt, and there there is the promised land. So they have a here and there in their life as well. But just like us, the Israelites have discovered on this long journey through the desert, they're realizing that from point A to point B, that journey doesn't always go as planned. Check out this map behind me here. Um, you look at this, um, over on the left side, that's Egypt. Okay, you see the Mediterranean Sea up top, right below that on the far left of the screen, that's Egypt. Jerusalem, Canaan, the promised land, that's up by the Dead Sea up there that you can see kind of in the upper right. So really, it's a pretty straight shot from the left side to the right side of the screen. That's the distance they have to travel. It's a couple hundred miles, okay? Now, they don't have SUVs and cars and things like that, so they have to walk or travel by camel through the desert so they can survive. But still, it should take them several months, Still seems like a long trip, but in all reality, not that long. The red line is the route they took. Okay? They need to go here to here, and they went, right? What are they thinking? You'd think all they have to do is just follow right along the coast on the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea right there, but somehow that trip ended up take, that was supposed to take a couple months took 40 years. And you thought six years was a long time to have a building, people. Come on, right? This is where I scold you. No. Think about it, though. 40 years. For some people, that's most of their adult life. It's half their life was spent in between, in the wilderness, in the desert. That's about six miles a year. That's not very good. That's not very good mileage, right? Even walking, something is terribly wrong. The reality of trips is that they never go as we anticipate because God had other ideas. You don't have to turn there, but let me read God's words a few chapters before in Exodus 13, starting in verse 17. It says this, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, listen to this while you're looking at the map, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Verse 18. So get this. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Bet you didn't know that roundabouts were originally God's idea, right? And the DOT just kind of picked up on it, right? So if you're the Israelites and you're trying to get from here to there, from there to there, there's a very good possibility that after a year, let alone 40 years, you might be feeling like God is playing a game with you. How long, Lord, do we have to wait to get to where we want to go? And you might start feeling like our friend Clark W. Griswold who takes a European vacation and, just like the Israelites, does not understand roundabouts. Let's take a look. I don't know what it is. I can't get left. That has to be exactly what the Israelites are thinking. Go back to that map one more time, if you would. Let's just look at that map. I have to believe 
that they're thinking as they're going all the way down on the Sinai Peninsula, they're thinking, I can't get left. God, all we want to do is go left. But you keep taking us right. So I would imagine they were feeling the same thing. Have you ever felt like in life God is taking you on one continuous roundabout where you're just spinning your wheels and you're wondering, God, am I getting anywhere in my life? There's a reason that God did this, right? Because God knew that this is the way that life is sometimes. Do you ever feel like the there, the there's in your life are so elusive? A relationship fails, a job ends, a family member passes away. Or maybe for you, you are simply in a season of constant waiting. Whatever that there is. And it seems like nothing's happening. And in those moments, it's so easy to question, God, what is going on? What is going on? Did I miss a sign somewhere? Because I just keep going around in circles. We wonder, God, are you still there? And that's exactly what we find God's people doing as they're going around and around in their roundabout in Exodus chapter 17. So look at your Bibles with me in verse 3. It says this, so they're out in the middle of the desert, they're out in the middle of their land between, and they say, but the people were thirsty for water there, and they did what? They kept the good cheer. No, they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Now, a lot of times we read the Bible, and you can just sort of read it monotone and get the point. In a story like this, folks, I think it's better read in like a whiny 13-year-old's voice, okay? Nothing against 13-year-olds, but you know, you're just kind of crabby and going through that stage of life and nothing's ever good enough and all that sort of thing. So we kind of have to read it that way. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Gee whiz, Moses, what a drag. Is that a little closer? I think that was a little bit more accurate, right? Finally, get this, the people say, skip down to verse 7. So they complain against Moses, and eventually it gets to this. 17, verse 7, let's read it together up on the screen nice and loud. Is the Lord here with us or not? God delivered them in a miracle. He sent plagues into Egypt. He rescued them out of hundreds, 400 years of slavery. He opened up a sea right in front of their eyes. Like the whole Charlton Heston thing, you know, and the water. And now look what they're saying. God, are you with us or not? It's the old case of, God, what have you done for me lately? It's so hard to stop and say thank you when you're living in the land between. God, what have you done for me lately? And what Moses and the people have discovered, and maybe what you have discovered, it could not be more true for us as well, is that the land between the deserts, the wilderness of our lives, is fertile ground. It is an opportunity for growth. And that growth can happen in one of two ways. The first way is to actually grow in our faith. I've spent my whole life in Iowa, and I remember back growing up, Iowa's kind of changed their slogans from time to time, but I remember every time we'd go to my grandparents in Minnesota and come back to Iowa, there's a big sign up in northern Iowa, 
kind of looked like that. I couldn't find one that I, that I remember, but it was something like this, and it said Iowa, and the slogan was, a place to grow. Now it's like fields of opportunities or something like that. I don't know who comes up with these things, but Iowa, a place to grow, okay? So you have a big old sign like that because supposedly if you go there, it's a place to grow. Now imagine how silly it would be if you were driving into the literal desert, into the wilderness, and there was a big sign up that said, welcome to the barren wasteland of the desert, a place to grow. You'd be like, yeah, right. Like cactuses and dead carcasses, like nothing grows here. It's the desert. It's the wilderness. What a joke. But the reality is a lot of things grow in the desert, not just cactuses. I believe that the land between in our lives is fertile ground for complaint and it's fertile ground for transformation. And you can choose how you want to live in the land between for complaint or transformation. For the Israelites in the desert, we see it's very easy to let complaint and doubt grow when it seems like God is silent in our lives. There's nothing to eat. We're so tired. God, why did you bring us out here? We want a better leader. This is too hard. We're tired of what you've given us. The desert can be a place where we get stuck and we grow bitter and our hearts can become hard. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're ready to throw in the towel. Maybe you've caught yourself saying at various times in your life, God, I'm so tired of waiting. Or, or we can allow our complaint to move towards trust. God is not telling you when you're living in the land between, suck it up. That's nowhere in scripture. Hear me say that loud and clear. God is saying, let me have it. <laughs> Be angry, angry with me. Have you read the Psalms? Okay, it's David crying out saying, my life is horrible. And God, you're not helping. And God says, yeah, more of that. Do that. That's, that's the point. But at some point, does your complaint move towards trust? To the place where you say, God, I have no idea how long this is going to take. I have no idea why this is happening in my life. But I choose to trust you. But I choose to trust you. Because the land between is also fertile ground for transformation. If we let it. To let God change us into the kind of people that he wants us to be. Because here's the thing. It turns out that if God always just went boom, 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 and gave us everything that we wanted all the time, we could have everything we want and we could consume everything that this world has to offer and be the wrong kind of people. I could have everything that I need and be so far away from God's heart. God's saying, I care just as much about who you're becoming along the way as filling your hands with everything that you think you need. God says the world looks at the outward appearance of how everything's going in your life, but scripture says the Lord looks at the heart. What kind of a person, what kind of a man, what kind of a woman are you becoming? And that goes for us as individuals, but also as a church. And you might say, for the past six years, as a church community, as Hope Des Moines, we've been living in the land between as well. Six years ago, a courageous bunch of people set out from slavery in Western... No, I'm just kidding. 
Can we scrap that from the recording? Okay. Just kidding. That's where the analogy breaks down. From the luscious land of West Des Moines. And they said, God has called us to go there. God has called us to go to the city. And what we didn't know is that it wouldn't just go boom, boom, and everything's easy and everything's great. It's been hard sometimes. We've been living in the land between as a church as well. I was hired on a Tuesday in April of 2008, and that Sunday, four or five days later, we launched. So, here we go, little boy John. You're now some sort of pastor and lead this church, and here we go. And I remember our leadership team got together, and they'd been meeting for months, and I kind of got thrown in the mix, and uh, my, my boss said, lead them. I said, Okay, uh, and so we, we planned and we organized and we got all ready and we had our first preview service down in the cafeteria, if you can imagine, everybody fit in the cafeteria. Uh, there was like 12 of us there, it was awesome. And, um, and we, we, it was so amazing and we got done and we were all sitting around going, whoa, that was so awesome, what an incredible thing. And then uh, somebody on the team went, so oh, we gotta do it next week too, right? And I went, oh no, this is an every week thing, isn't it? This whole like being a pastor thing and this whole being a church thing, we have to do it again next week and there's going to be six years of next weeks. Oh no, what have we gotten ourselves into? And it is, don't get me wrong, it has been amazing and God has done amazing things, but it has not always been easy. There has been times when it's messy, like spiritually messy and then like literally messy. Uh, Times when it has been, for many of you, so utterly inconvenient whether it's getting up early to set up chairs or getting up way early to set all this stuff up. Maybe it's opening up your home so that the church could host something there, even though it's way out of your comfort zone to open up your home. Choosing to serve as you did this past week every single day, whether it was convenient for your schedule or not. Instead of grumbling and complaining as a church in the land between You let the process change you. You let the process change you, and you realized that to be the church isn't primarily about our comfort. It's primarily about letting God use us to change people's lives. Whether it's in our comfort zone or not, whether it's convenient or not, whether it's messy or not. Some of you are saying, yeah, I had to set up my own chair this morning. We're glad you're here. We are really glad you're here. And boy, have we learned a lot. And so if I had to boil it all down, I was coming up with a list of all the things that we've learned. And I was, This would be a 10-part sermon series about everything not to do when starting a church. I, and most of it's right here. Um, I boiled it down to three. So for the first one, um, oh, we don't have a drummer. You're going to have to be the drummer. Give me a drum roll, please. Drum roll, please. Number one. First thing we've learned in the last six years is... Always take God seriously. Never take ourselves too seriously. And here's why. A couple stories I want to tell you quick. And one has to do with extreme cold, and one has to do with extreme hot. When we first started this campus, we were loading everything in from a a large trailer. And we parked it out in the parking lot there in the playground, and then we would roll everything down the ramp. Well, one morning, God chose to make it negative 12 degrees. And so we've got guys out there in their Carhartts and their overhauls, and we go out, and normally it takes us about an hour and a half to set up everything that we had at that point. And we were running a little bit late, and we went out there, and we realized the lock to the trailer 
was frozen shut. There was like a giant icicle hanging, an icicle from hell hanging on our trailer on this lock. And we're like, what are we going to do? Like, everything we have as a church is in that trailer, okay? We weren't even in the closet yet. And so we're like, what are we going to do? So we run in here, and we boil water, and we take water, and we dump it on the trailer just to get into the trailer so we could start moving stuff in. We set everything up in like 20 minutes, I think, that day. It was a mad, mad scramble. On the full opposite end of the spectrum, somebody, some pastor in this church had the bright idea of having outdoor worship. Now, it was great but this bright idea pastor said, let's have outdoor worship and let's do it in the parking lot out here so that people driving by can see and they'd be like, maybe they'd come and check us out. You know, free marketing, right? We're out there. Well, what that, that young pastor didn't realize is that concrete reflects heat. And he chose to have outdoor worship on the day when it was about 95 and humid and there's no shade out there whatsoever. And so worse than, I think literally some people were like passing out during the sermon, which is biblical. That happens in the Bible. Um, so that's fine. Uh, I think I had the world's like shortest sermon that day because people are like getting their umbrellas out in the sun and like passing out. And I'm like, okay, I think I've said everything I need to say uh, today with that. We should never take ourselves too seriously, but we always, always, always take God seriously. Drum roll, ready for number two? Here we go, drum roll for number two. The second thing that we have learned, ready? Psh, that following Jesus is a get to, not a got to. Everybody say get to. Get to. Everybody say get to. get to. Whether it's serving or worshiping or joining a life group, it has always been our desire that serving comes from the overflow of our hearts that say, I get to be a part of what God is doing here. And that could not be more true of today as we've kind of called it Recommitment Sunday for this Building Hope Together campaign that we began last fall to support the purchase and the renovation of this beautiful new facility on Ingersoll. And contrary to popular belief in the church, I don't know what your experience has been with the church and money. Usually those two things are like, there is nothing that we would hate more than for you to give out of any kind of guilt or pressure for me or anyone else in this church. Because what the world would say about a campaign like this is, is, John, you need to use all the gimmicks and all the games and all the tricks you can to sort of twist people's arms and sort of guilt them into giving towards the church because that's just the way that the church has always done it. And so last fall when our campaign leaders were meeting, we, we sat down and we came up with a few different ideas for slogans for the campaign. And I just want to bring you up to speed. Our first suggestion was fork over your cash and get it done for God. Um, we scrapped that one. And then somebody said, oh, how about better? John, how about you just go around to everyone in the church and simply yell right into their face, show me the money! <laughs> so we didn't go with either of those. You know, you know what we landed on? You know what our motto was for the campaign? Why don't you just pray about it? What? There's got to be more than that. I mean, Pastor John, tell me how much you really need. I mean, what's the bottom line? Tell me, what do we really need? Pray about it? It's never really been about us. It's about him. And he's got it. He's totally got it. He's always been faithful and he always will be. So it's simply pray about it. And that's what scripture says when it comes to giving financially. Let's check this out. Let's read this together from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's read it together nice and loud. 
Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I know that I have said this before, but uh, when you look at that, when, when it says uh, cheerful giver, when God is talking about that, uh, the Greek word there is hilarion, where we get hilarious. God loves hilarious giving. God loves giving that doesn't make sense in the eyes of the world. I think God would love it if we spontaneously broke out in belly ache laughter during the offering every week. I'm still waiting for that to happen. Just because it's so much fun to give. God loves hilarious giving. God loves that. Regardless of what you've ever heard about money in the church, hear me say this loud and clear today. This is not a guilt trip. This is an opportunity to be a part of, be a part of something, that, building something that's going to last. This is not a guilt trip. This is about building God's kingdom. And just so you have a picture of that, I want you to take out that card that's on your seat. And I just want to walk you through that this morning. That is a, an updated card. And, and over this past year, you have responded loud and clear that this is about God's kingdom and it's not about us. Given to date, folks, this community has given $591,333. Praise God for that. Amen? And that's out of a three-year pledge of a pledge you're given up front last fall of $830,000. So we are way ahead of schedule, and that is awesome. However, there's this little thing called a loan that uh, God has blessed us with, and uh, that's not a bad thing. By the end of this project, it's going to be well over a million-dollar project, and so there's a long way to go. But God's got it. He's totally got it. And this has never been about money. It's been about us asking God, how can we be better stewards of what you've given us? Do you know that everything you have is not yours? Do you know that everything that you have is God's and it's on loan to us? And so God says, be a good steward of what I've loaned to you. It's his and the truth is, God doesn't need it as much as we need to give. We need to give way more than God needs our money. He's God. He's got everything. It's all his. It's the act of giving, like we talked about. It's the act of saying thanks. It's the act of worshiping that changes us and does something to us. And so God is saying to you this morning, simply pray and pray this prayer. God, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your will for Hope Des Moines? God, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your will for Hope Des Moines? It's a get to, not a got to. That's number two. And number three on our countdown, maybe just do it with one hand since you got your card. Number three is this. We're better together. Everybody say we're better together. Whether it's serving or life groups or weekend worship or this giving campaign, we are at our best as a church when everybody believes they have a crucial role to play. Because for some of you, you could miss the entire point of this campaign if you thought it was all about giving financially. That is one part of it. You might be saying, John, I can't really contribute. I, I don't have much to give. Life doesn't allow me to give a lot right now, so the campaign's not really for me. The people that counted the money last fall, they brought me some of the envelopes 
not with any information on them, but just that people had written things on them. And they said, John, I just want to let you know, there was a lot of coins. Um, There's a lot of coins in those envelopes. And there were some $1 bills and some $5 bills. And I said, wow, praise God. Praise God. Because that means just as much as any of the larger gifts. Because it's really about what's going on in here, right? If you have any sense of guilt or pressure, don't give. Hear me say that loud and clear. Hear me say that loud and clear. But the amazing thing is that God calls us all to contribute, to give back to him in lots of different ways, and that might include your time, your talents, or your treasure. Not just your treasure. Some of you, you've given of your time, and you've got blood, sweat, and tears in that building down there. Some of you continue to give of your talents every single week. Some members from the congregation built that cross by hand for our new building. That's how they gave, and it's beautiful. And that means just as much as anything else. For some of you, it's the smile and the handshake and the hugs that you give people here every morning. For some of you, it's just being here. That's what you bring. You bring your presence. And if that's all you can give, that is more than enough. We just love it that you're here. When God changes our hearts, then we give out of the overflow because we have been loved so much we cannot help but give back. We recorded some of the stories from some of you last fall during our campaign, and I wanted to remind you of why we're doing what we're, you, what, what we're doing. These are some of the testimonies of the people sitting around you today about these last six years. Let's take a look. Well, I'll take you back to 1992 before I met Jesus. I was a drug addict, um, kind of a crazy man. Um, you know, really a crazy man. And then uh, I had a friend of mine that changed right before my eyes. And uh, I saw something in this guy that I wanted. It was peace. This guy, he was a lot like me. And then all of a sudden he changed. And I literally asked him, I said, what is up with you? And he said, it's Jesus. So I got away from him immediately. Paul says, follow me. I'll follow Christ, follow me. So whenever I can and I just like to um, share hope with people because there is hope. Before realizing my call as a disciple, I really knew what it meant to be a Christian here and here, but I wasn't, I wasn't using these, I wasn't serving, I wasn't um, growing as a disciple and discipling others. I know God loves me. I know other people love me. I'm in relationship with other people uh, that I truly care about because that's what God calls us to do, to be in relationship. And I didn't ever understand that. I had a lot of perfectionist tendencies, wanted to control a lot of things, made a lot of plans for my life. I was that constant worrier. My girlfriend said, have you talked to your husband about these things? I'm like, nah, he'll go along with them, right? Things happened in my marriage and that fell apart. And so my plan fell apart and I found myself going, wait a minute, I had done A, B, and C and I wasn't getting you know, to that next step. And so I, you know, I turned back to the church and I turned back to, to prayer and to God and really started putting more of my, my faith in the future in Him. And I, yeah, I just, oh, it's just such a better place to be. 
I believe that God has called me to share with others that there is hope and there is a future. God is using our story. To show that broken pieces can be mended. God is using my story to witness to men with addictions. I believe God is calling me to share the love of Jesus Christ by going on Mission Navajo. God has saved me and He is using me. Through the church, we want to share God's love and joy to people in need. God is calling me to build a thriving children's ministry. To be a better encourager to the church. To lead by faith in all of my relationships. To provide a church home for children with special needs. We're excited to raise our girls in a church family. Where they can learn, experience, and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. God is calling us. God is calling me. God is calling us. So where's God calling you? Because this has never really been about a building. It's never really been about a campaign. It's about who we're becoming along the way. And uh, I guess I didn't tell you what I'm thankful for. I know it might sound cheesy. But I am so thankful for you. I am so thankful for you. Thanksgiving could not be happening at a better time this year. We could not be moving into that building at a better time. Because I am so thankful for you because you let the, the land between change you. And I don't know, look around you today. Look what God did. He started a family. And you're all a part of that. Whether this is your first time here or you've been coming your whole life, that God made a family. I'm thankful for the passion that you have to invite your friends and your neighbors to worship. I'm thankful for the dozens of you that have literally come up to me over the last couple months and said, John, I don't know what you need, but we're just here to serve. What do you want me to do? It's like this, we're not consuming religion anymore. It's like we're being the church for the very first time and some of you are experiencing that. That's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that we've created a family where everybody's welcome. And there's no perfect people allowed. The land between is fertile ground for transformation and God's transformed us into a family. And so the other night at our prayer and worship night, I'm standing in the back and I'm worshiping with all of you and then it hit me, this is why we did this campaign. This is why I suck it up and I talk about money from the front even though I don't want to. Because it's so worth it. This is why we built this building. This is why we did this campaign so that the tens and thousands of people that don't know Jesus or that don't have a church home in Des Moines can find what you and I are experiencing right now. That tangible feeling that reaches out and grabs you every single time that you walk through those doors and says, God is real and there is a God that loves you and there are thousands of people that live and work around you every single day that need to know that. That's why we do what we do because Jesus is life and the rest is just details. And until there are no longer people that need to know God's love, which will be never, we will not stop. Our mission continues. And even though we've reached a there in our journey as a church, there's going to be a lot more theirs because, folks, we are just getting started. 
There is a peace and a love and a joy and a hope that is available to every single person. That's why we're doing this campaign. And so my challenge to you is play your part. And so as the band leads us in this song, I want you to just relax. I want you to pray over that card. And whether it's your time, a specific gift or talent that God has given you, or if you want to give financially, write that down. There's spaces on that card for each one, and if it's simply a gift or a talent that you have that you want to give, write that down. Every single person can write something down. And as the band leads us in worship, we just ask you to come forward when you're ready, and there's baskets on either side. And whether you're giving financially or not, every single person we're inviting to come forward. You are way more a part of this than you will ever know. Let's give and let's build hope together. Let's worship.